1: Before They Were Live, an ongoing and monthly conversation about the Disney animated canon in chronological order. Today, we are discussing the ninth animated feature, Fun and Fancy Free, which was released in the first year of the Cold War, 1947. I'm Josh altman and with me, as always, is the giant of Christian podcasting, Michael Farmer. He can juggle and dance while on a trapeze, walk a tightrope with the greatest of ease. In jiu-jitsu, he's beyond compare, once through a bowl at the county fair, terrific at wrestling and lifting weights, outbox the Camp, so 17 states. The only bad thing I could say about him is he likes his book titles five feet wide. And I don't know if it's um, that we're now firmly in the post-World War II America or if it's that I'm just a Cold War kid myself. Or maybe it's the amount of times I watched Mickey and the Beanstalk as a kid. But I feel like we've crossed a threshold here with our movies. Um, we're still a few years out from the so-called Silver Age of Disney. But um, I just really I, I felt like I was on firm uh footing again we've got an actual an actual fairy tale um this month so i don't know am i crazy michael or is that that how you're feeling too
0: no i uh, i actually enjoyed this one quite a bit much more than uh what was the one we just watched make mine music and certainly better than three caballeros
1: yes yeah i i really i really like this one yeah but, uh there's there's basically two parts to this movie which we'll we'll talk about and then also i i have um I would I would like to get your opinion on kind of the uh the bumper ends of this um as well but um basically we we start with Jimmy Cricket singing us a song about living fun and fancy free and then uh we we go into the story of Bongo who's a circus bear um and then we get the story of Jack and the Beanstalk although this is Mickey and the Beanstalk along with Donald and Goofy joining him and then we get a little tail end bumper and, and that's the movie. And I feel, I feel like for me, Mickey was a highlight. I don't know how much of that is uh, nostalgia and how much that's just the better portion of the movie. Uh, and Bongo, I was not as familiar with. I don't think I've, if I've seen it before, I don't remember it. But I feel like even though it was lower, it's not near the lows (laughs) of the movies that we're coming out of.
0: Yeah, Um, I I would agree. It's better – I think it's better than anything in the last few movies even though – I mean Mickey and the Beanstalk, I think everybody agrees, is the better half of Fun and Fancy Free.
1: Yeah, so interestingly, funny – the – the Mickey the Beanstalk portion has been released by Disney three different times because there's a, nar- there's a narrated pit bit.
0: Yeah. Charlie McCarthy kind of loses his, uh, cultural catch after, a, <laughs> after a certain point.
1: Right. Uh, so they've released it two more times. Um, once with, oh, what's his name? We love him. Uh, Sterling Holloway as the narrator, and that's the one that I grew up with, which I think is, is the best one and the superior one. And then they also released it with...
0: Ludwig von Drake. Yeah, Ludwig
1: von Drake. Which one of the one most annoying
0: my... Disney characters of all time. <laughs> yeah. My wife loves him.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's the version that my wife grew up with, so um, she grew up with that one, which is interesting, because we're the, we're about the same age, but um, apparently our parents taped off the TV on different nights or something, so... <laughs>
0: I um I went on YouTube because I I remembered I remembered it being Sterling Holloway but the the one I found on YouTube was Ludwig von Drake and I uh, stopped looking and assumed I just made up that Sterling Holloway had done it. Did you go back and watch the Sterling Holloway narration? I
1: I, I would like to find it. I can't believe it's not available anywhere. Like again, I, I talked about this a little bit last week, but I don't know why it's not. I mean, they could just include it as a feature on Fun and Fancy Free and the extras. Like, here, watch it, <laughs> you know, with the two different narrators, you know? like. It's really strange uh, they didn't, isn't it? Yeah.
0: And and my, my edition of Fun and Fancy Free, which I assume is yours because I think there's only one DVD, has, like, a featurette on the movie. It's not like there's no bonus features.
1: Oh, that's nice. No, actually, I I got mine through iTunes. I get most of my stuff through iTunes these days, and so I didn't get anything. I didn't get any bonus features.
0: Oh, so. Well, I will uh, I will tell you about the featurette when it is appropriate to do so. All
1: right, I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to hearing what that is.
0: But yeah, the Ludwig von Drake one is available on on YouTube, and uh, it is if you think Charlie McCarthy is annoying, the Ludwig von Drake one is just. Uh, unwatchable i think
1: (laughs) really okay maybe i'll maybe i'll have to take the challenge and try and watch it i don't know
0: do you know that character have you seen him he he's in a series i think he was the mascot to wonderful world of color when it first started airing
1: you know i i only know him through the he's also in the disney valentine special so um that we talked about a little bit i think last month so that's it that's the only way that i know him though
0: uh, i've seen him in several things and he is he is never the the best you can ever say about him is that he's bearable
1: yeah that's too bad because he's really i mean he's in the style of the ducktales that i grew up on like i mean he would fit right into the ducktales universe and i love ducktales so in fact, I, think, I
0: think he may be donald duck's uncle another another uncle hmm. i don't know if he's scrooge's brother or what
1: <laughs> there is an amazing family tree of Donald Duck that is online. I'll try and put it in our uh, show notes on our website, um, which is beforetheywere.live, um, which has been neglected, but it's I've, I've updated it a little bit recently. So keep checking back. There, more and more stuff keeps getting posted slowly but surely on there. So I'll try and I'll try and include the the family tree of Donald Duck. It's pretty it's pretty impressive.
0: There, well, there's a whole series of comic books that. I, I think are underground classics in this country and above ground classics in Scandinavia. You know, they love Donald Duck in Scandinavia.
1: Yes. I, I yeah. The, the Carl Barks, is that the same? Carl Barks. Yeah. Is the, is the author and illustrator of those. And I guess in, uh, yeah. Uh, Doesn't Carl
0: Barks yeah. sound like the DuckTales universe's version of Karl Marx. Like he's some sort of,
1: <laughs> some sort of
0: dog based communism. <laughs>
1: And I never thought about that, but it does. Yes. Um, so yeah, that actually, uh, Disney, not Disney. Um, well, I mean, I'm sure Disney licensed it, but, uh, Fantagraphics is maybe the name of the the book publishing company has been uh, releasing his entire works, um, and so you can you can get them. You can get the first few um, only in actual bound editions right now. Not there's there's nothing available digitally, which is sad for me because I you know I only get so much uh, suitcase weight flying back and forth to China.
0: <laughs> sure. So I
1: I haven't picked up any of them yet, but I would I would really like to. I'll have um, to look for this. But yes, I did I did know that he was that these Donald Ducks were as you said above ground classics. There's actually academic. Versions with annotations and stuff released if if you read the the right languages, um, which oh, I don't, man that's so. insane.
0: Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know how we got on the Ducktales comics.
1: Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're,
1: yeah, I, lo- but, I love the tangents though. So that's that's how we got there. It's just because this is. This is the way I like my conversations to go. So.
0: Well, and, and like you, I grew up on those cartoons. So I'm hoping that when we get to the 80s and 90s, we can do a uh, an interlude episode on either the TV show or the wonderful movie Ducktales: Treasure of the Lost Lamp.
1: Yes, I would. I, I would love to do either of those. So that would be great. Have you seen the before before we get back to Fun and Fancy Free? Have you seen the new? They've updated Ducktales. Right, Lin
0: Lin Lin Manuel Miranda from (laughs) Hamilton is playing somebody because he has to be at everything now. (laughs) I
1: I think he, I think he's Gyro, isn't
0: he? (laughs) Is he? That makes sense. That was not a shot at Lin Manuel Miranda. I find him as charming as everybody else does.
1: Yeah.
0: No, I I have not seen it. Have you? Did did you like it?
1: Uh, I I only saw a clip of it, and it looked a little more like basically most cartoons these days. I feel like are more. you know it's it's high school problems in little kids' bodies, which mm. bothers me like i don't I don't particularly like that trend in our modern uh cartoons and so um, it seemed like it was that but I didn't see enough to actually like I don't want anybody to take that as gold because i don't I, I actually only saw a clip of it so I could be way off on that
0: the animation is not ugly
1: it's not ugly it's it's, and it, definitely and it's very not three d yeah. It's it. It looks hand drawn. It may be done on a computer, but it's it looks hand drawn. So, I,
0: yeah. I I am open to watching it, but I haven't yet.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm also open to it, but I'm in I'm in a stage of life where my free time is of such short supply that I th- every time I kind of think about oh I should check out that new Ducktales I'm like well why don't if I'm gonna spend a half hour watching the Ducktales like why don't I watch one of the old ones so
0: right <laughs> right yeah that show is super important to me I'm, I'm you're a couple of years older than me. We are basically just the right age to have loved that show, and I loved Rescue Rangers too.
1: Oh yeah, that whole that whole Disney animation block that was on on whatever time that was that was it was great. The, uh, the
0: Disney Afternoon.
1: Yeah, Tailspin was in there, and uh
0: Darkwing Duck.
1: Uh, oh, Darkwing Duck, so good.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. agreed. Yeah, agreed.
1: Yeah, we're, 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 we we we'll def- we definitely have a uh, an interlude episode on our hands here. So. When yeah, we're when we we're fifty,
0: that. we'll <laughs> <laughs> come back and do a Ducktales episode. They'll be on the fourth reboot by then. That's right. Lin Manuel Miranda's son Sebastian will be the star of <laughs> Ducktales 2048. He'll be playing Huey Dewey and Louie. All right, well, let's jump back into
1: uh, Fun and Fancy 3. We've got um, an opening song, a uh, song by – do you know who's singing it before Jimmy uh, picks it up? Uh, Jimmy, no,
0: no uh, it, it it says a number of people at the beginning. I I, I don't know. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, it's no big deal. I don't know either. Um, yeah, just kind of this classic Disney choir. Um, I don't know. Or, is that what you would call it, the classic Disney choir? The Disney
0: type? Chorus, it's
1: sometimes called. Oh chorus, yeah. In, the, in
0: my iTunes, that's what I call them if I don't know who sings it, because I yeah. I had a CD years ago that that called them that.
1: Yeah. What's the difference between a chorus and a choir? I don't know. Okay. Um, anyway, they're singing a lovely song about everyone, um, what basically worrying too much, and it's better to be free living and. <laughs>
0: that's <laughs> that's my, that's is, my motto it? too. In fact, I think the song suggests at one point that if you have a disease, the best cure is to be optimistic.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's. Um, what does it say? It says, uh, if you if you should have a chronic ache, pills won't make you strong. The only tonic you should take is a teaspoonful of song. That that I
0: don't think that is responsible medical advice. <laughs> it reminds me of that deep thought with Jack Handy. Speaking of things, I'm exactly the right age for. Uh, uh, my father always believed laughter was the best medicine, which is why several of us died of pneumonia. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So what's, what's the deal with this, uh, fun and fancy free? Um, I mean, just this idea of everyone, uh, let's see, Jimny says, everyone keeps asking me my recipe for living. It's simple as the ABCs and hardly seems worth giving. I'm just a happy go lucky fellow, full of fun and fancy free.
0: So I think part of the problem, part of the no, it's not really a problem. Part of the reason is that that song was left over from Pinocchio, and so I think they just decided to build the the uh, framing device of this movie around the song they happen to have lying around. Because you know he was a happy hobo even in Pinocchio. This really takes that up to eleven. Mm-hmm. But all right. Also, I'm fascinated by the fact that this movie comes out in 1947. So we're two years after World War II. And at one point in that opening, uh, that opening bit, Jiminy Cricket looks through the newspaper, and it's all this horrible, like global stuff going <laughs> on. So I think, I think, in in one way, this is a very Disney move, right? Like like they're they're trying to cheer people up after the worst world, the worst war in world history. Uh, you know, much of Europe, mm-hmm. m- much of Europe is in shambles. I'm sure by this time they were showing their movies in Europe again. Uh, there, there's something. Oh, I, I don't know. How would you put it? Like smiling down the hurricane, and in this opening song.
1: Yeah, and actually, so the newspaper headlines I loved. I thought it'd be kind of fun um, <laughs> to read a few of them. I wrote, I wrote a bunch of them down. Go I, for it. I just love it. Um, so, Scientist Commission releases Doom Report.
0: <laughs> Which I mean, that could be a headline today.
1: Exactly. And you could almost make a game out of this. Like, was this a real headline or is this a headline from the 1947 mo- or movie, and uh, Fancy Free? Um, human race going crazy, savant claims.
0: <laughs> I love savant claims. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, here's another one that could be re- could be real. Could be this year. Oceans will gobble Earth, scientists forecast.
0: And I gotta say, um, when faced with the prospect of the oceans rising and swallowing, uh, a huge portion of the global population, I'm not sure optimism, I'm not sure optimism is the best move. I think maybe curtailing, uh, greenhouse gases would probably <laughs> be better than, than just, you know, singing a happy song.
1: <laughs> See, you say that, Michael, but, um, and here I'm speaking firmly tongue in cheek, but, um, just just so no one takes me seriously. Um but the uh you know, if if we've been worried about this since the forties, <laughs> like maybe it's you know, maybe it's all fake news, maybe it's all just the media trying to get trying to get you to think that, you know?
0: I would expect that from someone from China where as you know they invented climate change. <laughs> That's right. But then again the world's been coming to an end since nineteen hundred and three. That's BC. <laughs> That's
1: BC, right. <laughs> Yeah, so I do think there's there's a little bit something to be said for it. Like there's a little bit something to be said for not, you know, over worrying about every little thing and not everything is the end of the world. Um obviously there are real crises and which which as you said like it's really interesting that this is coming right on the heels of um I think what most people would would say was a real um you know crisis and at the forefront of, you know, the Cold War where, you know, people are going to be panicked about uh, nuclear fallout and th- those sorts of things for, for a good many years, which, you know, again, I guess you could play it both ways. You could say, well, they were worried about nothing, nothing happened to you. or um, you could say, yeah, that was a real, <laughs> that was a real danger there. So
0: I would have been worried. I'm not sure this movie would have kept me from, from fearing nuclear war.
1: Right. It doesn't, it doesn't now. <laughs> yeah. I'm worried. I am worried now. So um Yeah. But anyway, we don't need to, we don't need to delve too deeply into that. But, well, the only other thing I was going to say about like this idea of kind of idleness or, um, you know, non-worry-free li- living is, um, I don't know if you've read this, uh, it's, I'm, I'm going to mess up the pronunciation so you can, you can correct me. It's by Robert Louis Stevenson and it's, uh, Virginibus per, perisque. I don't know. If I, I, I cannot
0: that. correct your pronunciation. I've not it, heard it was of this. It's so bad
1: you can't even uh, pronounce
0: it. I don't know anything about Stevenson beyond the big obvious ones.
1: So what yeah, is this book? So, well, he's got I, – I haven't read the whole thing. I actually uh, – this was linked a few years ago on the internet through um, Alan Jacobs, who I know you love. Um, he linked to it. And Chapter 3 is called An Apology for Idlers. And in it, uh, he says, extreme busyness, whether at school or college – kirker market is a symptom of deficient vitality and a faculty for idleness implies a catholic appetite and a strong sense of personal identity um and then he goes on to kind of explain like these type of people who they're you know they're so caught up in just busyness that they can't they what he says something great about they don't have two ideas to rub together or something like that you know um they just they can't be idle because there's just nothing to them. Basically, their their minds are actually vacant. They need to fill it up with, with busyness and stuff.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Um, yeah, I thought I thought I found it very interesting. So I can kind of see that in this um, in this Jimney cricket um sort of sort of person that that he's actually the clear-headed one. You know, like he's he's the one who's actually seeing clearly, and everybody else is just filled up with uh. Busyness and worry and anxiety is is in the wrong on
0: that. Well, and there's a there's a long American tradition to that, going back maybe to Rip Van Winkle, maybe even before that. Um you, you know Rip Van Winkle. I'm, I'm sure everybody does, but I will give the basics anyway. Rip Van Winkle is he's he's living in pre-revolutionary New York. His wife is a horrible harlot, and so he gets away from her. He goes up to the woods and sleeps for twenty years. I, I mean, there's there's this long tradition starting there maybe and going through Huck Finn. You know, kind of relaxedly sailing down the river. Um, you have Steinbeck's uh, novel Cannery Row, which is about a, a group of not hobos there, but bums, because they 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 don't travel. Hobos travel. So I, I think there is a I think there is a tradition into which Jiminy Cricket fits pretty nicely in in American culture, at least. And then the French have this thing called uh, uh, flânerie. Uh, you, you hear sometimes references to flaneurs. These are people who just kind of stroll mindlessly through the city and are are, you know essentially french heroes for it uh paris in some ways is kind of designed for for flaneurs to to walk through so uh, i mean i i I do think there's something more to this than just being cheerful and kind of lazy there is a kind of spiritual if you want to call it that quality to what gemini cricket is up to
1: yeah so i was actually that 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 reminds me that that was the other question I was going to ask you just mentioning the spiritual quality of it. How would you compare? And it's really interesting, right? That this is Jiminy cricket, which as you mentioned before is a, um, uh, what's it? Not euphemism, but, um, I don't know, another way of saying Jesus Christ, right? Um, like how would you compare this to like Jesus and Matthew and his, you know, uh, do not worry, you know, like, um, look at the, look at the birds of the air. They don't feed themselves. um, they don't toil or... Look at the flowers that don't toil or spin. Um, you know, th- uh, tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Like, how would you compare <laughs> the Jiminy Cricket version to uh, Jesus's Jesus's version?
0: I had not made that connection, but I, I think you're onto something there. Jesus is kind of a hobo, right? He doesn't, <laughs> well, he doesn't have a home. He just kind of wanders right. doing good deeds. He... Um, I the impression I get is he's not overly concerned with being at particular places at particular times with one notable exception. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I like that. I, I, maybe, uh, maybe we would all be better if we were a little more happy go lucky. I think of you as a kind of happy go lucky fellow, Josh.
1: Well, I I might be
0: (laughs) (laughs) more so than me. Yeah.
1: I think, yeah, there's a, um, there's a bit of a detriment to it at times where you know you're trying to find a direction in life and it's like well what do you you know what do you want to do with your life you're like i don't know i'm just going to keep doing what i've been doing and see what happens just Um, stroll
0: aimlessly around paris
1: yeah well that's apparently that's where i need to go next those are my those are my people i guess um yeah but (laughs) i don't know i don't know what to say to that all right. Uh, oh, I think I said that was my last thing on this, but I actually have one more question. So, do you do you see a streak of um, anti-intellectualism in this movie? With the, I kind of joked about it at the beginning with the, the books uh, five feet wide and people like the heavy stuff. Here's some of the titles on the shelf that um, <laughs> uh, Jiminy is looking at when he talks about this: is Misery for the Masses. Uh, I think Faces I actually wrote Abidism, that book.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anatomy of Melancholy, which is a and, real book. Uh,
0: Anatomy of Melancholy and, is a real book, uh,
1: proverbial philosophy. I
0: don't, I don't know about the other ones, but Anatomy of Melancholy is a, I think, sixteenth century book by this guy Robert Burton, and it is about depression. You know, it's, it's a, it's a <laughs> yeah. book about the humor of melancholy. So uh, yeah, I, uh, I got a kick out of that actually. And you want to talk about anti-intellectualism when he puts on the bongo record, he, uh, he looks at all these classical composers and picks the children's (laughs) record by dinah shore instead i thought that was pretty funny
1: yeah i didn't catch that one but you're absolutely right and then uh the other the other thing i saw in this movie was um it's in the charlie mccarthy narration uh you know at the we'll get to this when we get to mickey and the beanstalk but you know it's happy valley and then something tragic happens and charlie says they built a schoolhouse (laughs) and then um and then, uh, oh, what was the other one? They said something about the eighth grade. It's like as bad as the eighth grade or something like that, which uh, to be fair is not necessarily anti-intellectualism, but I felt like, um, along with the rest, it kind of, fit, it kind of fit that theme.
0: So. Well, and Charlie McCarthy's supposed to be a child. I mean, it's hard to tell cause he wears a tuxedo and a monocle,
1: <laughs>
0: but he's, he's supposed to be a kid. So it makes sense <laughs> that he would hate school in the eighth grade.
1: Right. Yeah, it does. Um,
0: by the way, I, I know we'll get there in a little while, but is there a worse ventriloquist in the world than Edgar Bergen? <laughs> <laughs> he barely, he barely disguises the fact that his mouth is moving.
1: Um, yeah, actually, uh, yeah, near the end, I want to, I want to bring this back up. Oh, well, we'll circle back around to that because I have, I, uh, I, I might be overthinking it, but, um, yeah, I, I have some thoughts on Edgar Bergen and, and how he fits into the, the wider, um, idea of disney and, and imagination and those sorts of things so we'll get to that near the end hopefully yeah anything else to, oh we, we should mention that um so Jiminy basically breaks into somebody's house
0: <laughs> he seems and, to uh, be he see well i think he's in the house to begin with right
1: is he no he's on the, oh he is you're right because oh that, that's a good gag because he's, a good gag. he's sailing down a river and then you see that the river is actually just in a in a in a potted plant. So you're right. He, he didn't break into the house. I'm not um, sure the
0: animators have ever seen an actual potted plant though. Most of which do not, do not have standing water in them.
1: <laughs> Maybe it was just watered right before or something. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, I found that really charming. Actually, uh, this is, this is a little silly, but it's a, it's a podcast about Disney. So why not? Like he, um, you know, he goes under the bridge in the song and they, they do the little, uh, the, the effect, um, where his voice changes because he's under the bridge. I just found that, like, that's so classic, like, attention to details type stuff that, you know, frankly, we haven't seen in the last few movies. So maybe that's why it was so exciting to that's me. That's
0: right. Yeah, they, they seem to have a little bit more time to work on this one, especially Mickey and the Beanstalk. I think Mickey and the Beanstalk is very lovingly crafted.
1: Right. Yeah, I agree. Um so yeah, anyway, he, he breaks in and then as you, as you, or he, whatever, he's, he's in the house and then he, um, puts on the record, uh, by Diana Shore, which, um, and then, uh, he goes to, to take a seat, um, with a stuffed bear and a, and a doll, um, a deadpan doll, as he calls her, um, but then, <laughs> Uh so then you pan away and we'll we'll do the story of Bongo here next. But um then when you when the story's over and it pans back the Jimmy Jiminy he's um he's he's relaxing in the doll's arms. <laughs> he's like rearranged her um her arms so that he's like laying in her arms like a baby. It's just I don't know. it seems in line with the Jiminy that we know from Pinocchio.
0: <laughs> yeah, he has doesn't he have a similar encounter with a doll in Pinocchio?
1: Well he has the uh what he's he's like Uh, he sees the girls the girl dancers at uh, Stromboli's and he's he's infatuated
0: Right, yeah, he likes the ladies
1: Yeah, does the triple take or whatever and pulls out his spectacles to to zoom in on them and stuff Yeah
0: Oh well, what if I can't climb a big old tree This is still the place for a fella like me, just lazy and loafing and Fancy free. I love to hang around the lazy countryside. Where things are nice and breezy. With nature's gang around the lazy countryside. Where life is twice as easy.
1: Where the cricket Alright, well, you want to jump into Bongo?
0: Yeah, Bongo, like Mickey and the Beanstalk, was originally conceived as a standalone feature, and I have the dates here. Let's see. This is—I got this from the featurette. The Bongo script—you'll—you'll you'll appreciate this—was finished on December eighth, nineteen forty-one. So I think we can tell why uh, why the Bongo feature never materialized. <laughs> yeah, and Mickey and the Beanstalk—the production began in nineteen forty and ended. They, they they cut it off in October 1941. So I mean these these are these have both been sitting around for a while, and both mm-hmm. of them had been condensed into being these short featurettes. And I'm I, it's hard for me to imagine that either one of these could have filled an hour and a half.
1: Yeah, the the Bonka one in particular feels very much um, in the same. I think it's I think it's better than what we've been seeing for the most part. Um, it may not be as good as like Willie the Whale, for example, but I mean it's 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 much better than what we've been watching. Um, but it still has that sort of feel of they they started this story and they weren't quite sure how it was going to end, or you know it kind of has that sort of um, what the the mail plane Pedro the mail plane or um, oh I forget the name of the the, uh, the flying donkey yeah the burrito <laughs> you
0: know?
1: yeah just kind of that just kind of that feel of like we don't really know what we're doing we're just you know kind of throwing gags together type stuff
0: but it's better so, than both of those
1: oh for sure it's better um but yeah i can't imagine i mean both of those are also much shorter than this so um the fact that it stretched this long is it's impressive
0: it initially you'll appreciate took place in the same universe as dumbo
1: yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. Actually I wrote down in my notes that they've they've done away with the roustabouts.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the the train just kind of sucks in the uh, the the circus stuff and spits it back out.
1: Yeah. A much sadder circus that well <laughs> that's hard to say. That's right? true, Dumbo's Dumbo, pretty Dumbo sad. Dumbo's very pathetic, but Dumbo never gets a, a chain locked around his neck at the end of the at the at the end of the night, right?
0: Yeah, he's um, a Bongo's a big star, but what the bear in the gilded cage? Is that what dinosaur yeah. calls him? Yeah. Some of the narration is really um, very poetic.
1: Yeah, it's re- it's really good in this one. I think I'm. Yeah. Um,
0: Were you ever able to find the Sinclair Lewis story this is based on?
1: I was not, although I did read the synopsis on Wikipedia, and it's very different. Yeah, um, it is. So in the in in this story, Bongo starts in the in the circus. And then uh, he hears the call of the wild and escapes from the circus, which is a great moment in this. And so we'll, we should come back to it. I don't want to just gloss over it with my summary. But um, then he, he he eventually ends up in the wild and and with, with a group of bears. Um, whereas in the Sinclair version, uh, he escapes from the circus, goes to the wild to be with the bears and never can integrate into their society and ends up um, he doesn't get the girl that he wants um and so he ends up uh wandering and finds another circus and uh throws himself at the uh the ringman's feet <laughs> the ringman realizes that that he's a trained bear and takes him back into the circus so it's a it's a very very different story i feel like
0: less happy-go-lucky but then you know who is not a happy-go-lucky fella Sinclair Lewis. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't. I don't think I know really anything about him. Is it, is it? Is there something that I should know that that helps make this story make more sense?
0: Well, he's most famous for I think three novels: Main Street, which is about like stifling conformity in a Minnesota town; um, Babbitt, which is about this kind of morally bankrupt businessman; and Elmer Gantry, who is the original crooked telemarketer, essentially. Mm. He's the first American to win the Nobel Prize for Literature as well. Oh, wow. So, I mean, his his work is not as depressing as some 20th century American authors, but certainly when you find out that Sinclair Lewis wrote uh, the story that was a model for a Disney movie, uh, it is surprising. He does not seem like the sort. Yeah, hmm.
1: yeah so the story... Um, yeah, What I guess the the fun and fancy free bit of it is is just... Uh, Bongo escaping the confines of that gilded cage and, and experiencing real freedom for the first time, I guess.
0: Yeah, which doesn't go as he thinks it's going to go, right? Cause he has this fantasy about living in the woods and, uh, he is, again, I think Dinosaur says something like, he didn't even know how to act like a bear. Yeah. He can't climb trees, he can't growl, he can't even jump. he tries to jump over a tree branch and and can't even do that, which is weird because he's portrayed in the circus as being quite athletic uh but he he you know he's apparently so out of his element that he can't do anything. I thought that was a really interesting take uh and I assume it well obviously it comes directly from the Sinclair Lewis story given the synopsis you just read,
1: right. Um yeah so I find this very very interesting and I I don't know what Sinclair Lewis had in mind when when he was writing his story or uh who any of this was supposed to represent um but to me it struck very um so living living um in China as I do um in the mostly um community of people who are also like not native chinese right um we have this and I work at an international school. And so uh, kind of the term that we have for kids who grow up like this um, is called is third culture kids. And the idea of a third culture kid is somebody who is living outside of their uh, parents passport country. And so they're getting this blend of cultures. Um, and so but what often happens um for people who live over overseas um or internationally or whatever for a while um is that then when they they try and re-enter or come back home it's often a very painful process because uh, they're what what um like in the terminology is is referred to as a hidden immigrant because they look exactly as they should look but they they are not able to adapt like they don't actually know the social cues um in the way that their peers do and they don't actually know the social norms and things in the way that their peers do. And so I, I found that this movie really resonated as far as, um, you know, that's, um, Bongo Bongo. It says he was born in the circus and he grew up in the circus, you know, so he's living outside of his quote unquote passport country and then he has to reenter it. And, and, um, obviously, I mean, that resonates more to me because that's, that's what I live with all the time. But I, I was wondering what the Disney people had in mind, uh, when they were creating this or, or what?
0: Yeah, I no idea, but I like that reading a lot. Yeah. Does, um, does it occur to you that you're raising a group of
1: bongos? Oh yes, absolutely. It's terrifying. Do you um, lock them and, in cages? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a gilded cage over here. Um, yeah, uh, it is. It is. There's so obviously there's there's positive aspects to these, um, you know, these sort of international life livers, and um, you see them. Uh, you know, there's there's famous uh, examples. Barack Obama is a famous, uh, probably the most famous third culture kid. Um, and there's actually some really interesting um, articles, particularly at the beginning of his presidency, about um, how some some of the things that were upsetting to people about him and about his politics and, and uh, or the way he went about things um, you could you could attribute to like these are more like common traits of these third culture kids. Um, so yeah, he's he's a very famous one. Kobe Bryant is another one who's very famous um, in the third culture kid circles. But
0: I had not I had not thought of Obama as being a cult, third culture kid. But you're right. You and I yeah. both went to a Christian Missionary Alliance college, so I mean we knew a lot of MKs as we called them there, missionary kids.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, same same thing, or, or <laughs> largely overlapping Venn diagram at least, right? Um, yeah, same same basic idea.
0: The term you sometimes hear in post-colonial studies is liminality, which refers to belonging to neither native culture nor colonial culture. I, I think mm-hmm. that term comes from Homi Baba, and there's a certain sort of knowledge you have when you're liminal, but of course you also never fit in anywhere. You're, you're homeless, and being homeless gives you that, that sort of knowledge. And, and that's interesting, right, because Jiminy Cricket is also homeless, mm. but it's a very different kind of... Homelessness. Bongo. Right. Is happy go lucky in his way, but the story itself is there's there's some real darkness there.
1: Yeah, actually I think I think it really works though, um, because so what we talk about, um particularly, you know, like I talk about this stuff a lot, um, trying to help kids in their transitionings, um, as they transition both in and out, um, because there's just a lot of transition in an in international lifestyle. Um and uh, we talk about is, is integrating those different parts of yourself and how like really being able to integrate them. And it's like, you were just saying like that knowledge, like bringing the knowledge that you do have, um, to bear on these different situations is actually, um, the strength that you have. And so, uh, with, uh, with this story, um, it's really interesting. So I see, I see, um, Bongo, the the things that he brings from the circus are his unicycle and then his outfit. And um, at first, those are actually a hindrance to him because, like you said, um, he you know on the on the unicycle he's completely dexterous. He can do whatever he wants. But once he gets on his own feet, he can't even jump over a log without tripping. And then when he first meets uh, the big bear, Lumpjaw. <laughs> Lumpjaw. My wife um, said,
0: uh, "Do you think do you think they named him Lumpjaw because of what he looks <laughs> like or do you think he began to look like he does because his name was
1: Lumpjaw?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, when he first meets Lumpjaw.
1: Yeah, that's a deeply philosophical question. Um, he's he's tripped up by his own outfit, right? Like the uh, his hat falls over his eyes and blinds him. Uh, so he's not able to um, fight or or attack uh, lump Lumpjaw in any way
0: when i thought that i thought there was a good gag there where Lumpjaw is holding him up getting ready to tear his head off or whatever um and bongo appeals to his circus celebrity in order to try to get out of it not, right. not realizing that nobody in the wilderness cares that he's a celebrity
1: right and that is exactly uh going back to i mean i don't know if you felt like you had this experience at Tacoa, but it's it's such a common experience for, um, these third culture kids where they're, sh- they're just sharing their life experience and people think like they don't care. Like it's so, it's so foreign. It either comes across as like bragging, like, Oh, like you're, you know, like, Oh, you, you've been to all these different countries or whatever. And I've never left my own hometown, you know, like it can, it can come across that way. Or it can also come across as just, you know, disconnected. Like they just don't have those, you know, I mean, just in our conversation, we were talking about our common sort of, um, you know, ducktails and uh, oh, whatever the the SNL guy, um, the Hannity, you know, uh, or no, that's not his name. Whatever. Handy, Handy
0: Jack Handy. Handy.
1: yeah, you know, like these things, like they resonate with us because we were of the exact age and in that culture. But if you're <laughs> if you're pulling out your your circus thing, you know, and and pointing to that, like people, like they it just doesn't connect with them so
0: right yeah, i knew an mk who's whose favorite american pop culture was archie comics <laughs> which is kind of a, I mean that's very interesting on on the one hand it makes her it makes her a more interesting person than i am because you know i don't know anything about archie comics but on yeah. I mean, think about think about how alienating it must be that that is your that's your cultural model that's the, yeah. that's the thing you know about american pop culture
1: yeah so yeah so anyway, this this movie I, I, I don't think I, I have no way, way of knowing that this is what they could have possibly had in mind, although you know the only thing that maybe does connect with it is you do have well, as you said though, like this was this was basically done. I don't know how it worked. Um, maybe did your feature it tell you like was this basically done and just sitting in a vault from 41 until 47 or did they attempt it in 41 and then revisit it in 47?
0: I don't know how many. I don't know how many changes were made, but the the script is what was finished in December nineteen forty one. So okay. they, they they hadn't actually started animating it, as far as I know. yeah.
1: Okay, so that throws out my idea of you know like um, potentially it's like veterans coming back and you know having to reintegrate into the society. That that's obviously not <laughs> what they had in mind, um, since they had it done before the war was you know before Americans were even really going to war.
0: The, anyway. the, the other thing is it's a parody of the Jack London novel the Call of the Wild um, which oh, is a, yeah. which is a phrase which is a phrase dinosaur actually uses mm-hmm. um, so the Call of the wild you have this dog named Buck who lives uh, who lives with a rich man and he is kidnapped and made a dog put into a dog fighting ring and then eventually he escapes and essentially becomes a wolf. Hmm. Um, and and I think the the again I haven't read the Lewis short story, but it, it must be playing on that because it, it the exact opposite thing happens, right? He escapes and then has to go back to civilization rather than entering the the wilderness for good. But here, yeah. because they've changed it, it, ends up it ends up being kind of a happier version of Call of the Wild instead of a parody yeah. of it.
1: Yeah, help, help me with my timeline because I I think I've read Call of the Wild actually, and I definitely know the name Jack London. But what are we? What are we talking about as far as his, like, is he writing at the same time as uh, Sinclair no, Lewis? Or, no,
0: no, that book or, is from 1904, I think, sometime around then. Okay. Yeah. So quite a bit before.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, but as you say, this is a, this is a much happier version, and it's happy because he does, he is able to finally integrate those uh, two parts of himself when he re, um, so first he has to learn, um, and we should talk about the actual movie here, so I'll, I'll stop rambling off on this um, third culture kid reading of it, but, um, just to say this last thing, um, you know, he, he confronts Lockjaw again. And the next time that he confronts Lockjaw, he brings his unicycle with him and he's able to, you know, attack him, um, using his skills from the circus, his jiu-jitsu and his, and his boxing skills and his, uh, unicycle skills. And, um, in that way, defeat him. And then actually, uh, but they both go over the edge of the waterfall and then it's, um, his, you know, this time it's his circus gear that saves him because he, you know, he gets caught, his hat gets caught on a branch, and that, that's what stops him from falling over the edge with Lockjaw. Yeah, that's,
0: that's so, exactly right.
1: Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he is able to, in some ways, to integrate those two selves because um, he was able to bring the knowledge from the circus in order to help him. In the wilderness, but he also has to give up some of that because you know the the, the unicycle goes over the edge with lockjaw. Um, so then he's you know, but he's living, um, you know, he gets the girl and he's living, you know, integrated into society. So I don't know, it's uh, really it really interesting to me.
0: I would lo- I would really love to hear what I mean. You're kind of a you're kind of in this position, but I would love to hear what somebody who grew up as a third culture kid thinks about this whether they find it moving or helpful yeah i I think that reading is spot on
1: yeah well i know that we have a couple who listen and so um yeah hopefully they'll they'll write in to to you or i and 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 let let me know um (laughs) let me know where i'm right and let me know where i'm wrong um but yeah before we get uh too deep into that the just the reading of it I, I don't know is there anything in the actual movie that you wanted to to talk about um i thought the scene um the call of the wild scene uh where he's in the cage and um you know it says he's he's fallen apart you know <laughs> and, and you can really see his life um you know i, I thought that they, they did a really good job with that the with through the the echoing sort of sound effects and the blurring things and rattling things and, and you just really feel for him um, being stuck in the cage there
0: bongo 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 <laughs> it's the one it's the one voice you hear other than dinosaurs shore's
1: yeah that's that's true and, i am uh, not
0: sure dinosaur can really carry this <laughs> nothing against her but i i her her narration is not spectacular
1: <laughs> yeah i go back and forth on on do I like the narration or not? Uh, just in general, like, do I like narration as a feature in movies or not? Um, I think there, there are times when it could be done really, really well as we talked about, um, I think before, like in the goofy films, um, there's times when the animation can really save it. Um, or not to save it, but make it right. Like it's what makes it special. And then there's other times, um, you know, we talked about it last time too, with, uh, Peter and the wolf where I'm just like, ah, I just wish the narration wasn't there. So, um,
0: well, there is a there is a reason for it in this, which is it's cheap. They oh, only okay. had to pay Dinah Shore instead of having to pay ten voice actors, and and that that let them spend I, I suspect a little more, a little more money on the actual animation. Some of the some of the backgrounds in Bongo are really lovely, and and the the shot I'm thinking of in particular is during right at the beginning of the song in the lazy countryside. There's a really nice shot of leaves. Um, being carried away by the wind Mm. that I thought I thought was better done than anything we've seen in the last couple movies. So, um, you know, if the, if the trade off here is the narration versus the animation, I can, I can deal with dinosaurs being only okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It didn't bother me. I, the, the, yeah, the whole, the whole story, um, is a or the whole short, I guess is just, it's it's just okay, I would say, you know, like, overall. Like, it's just, it's okay. Um, my wife was watching it with me, and she's like, I don't know why I liked this as a kid, except that I maybe wasn't allowed to watch anything else. <laughs>
0: so, Your wife is kind of mean to these movies.
1: <laughs> she doesn't love them. It's really true. Um, eventually, we'll get to the ones she likes. She likes the more modern ones. Um, she's been on a Tangled kick lately. She's been watching Tangled over and over and over again. So, um yeah, she she doesn't hate all movies, but I do I do realize that there's a theme here.
0: <laughs> um, the song in the lazy countryside, I think, is really good. I I, I enjoyed that song.
1: Yeah, that one is nice. The um, the bears uh, in the in the country, the bears give a slap or whatever it's called. Say is, it
0: with a slap. It hasn't it aged a slap. terribly well,
1: has it? Is not a good song, and um, yeah, and really.
0: Right you know actually the problem i the problem is it it kind of is a good song. I find it very catchy, kind of clever, uh but yeah, the implications of that song are not uh not entirely pleasant
1: <laughs> yeah i yeah, no accounting for taste, i guess i mean it's just i i didn't enjoy it either way um i i I was trying to think you know like okay as a as a storyteller what what could you do differently that would still that because they're in a kind of tight spot, right? Like Bongo has to um, be told that he's loved by the girl, but receive it as uh, I hate you, right? Like that's
0: Right, because he doesn't understand the culture.
1: Right, the, so the plot hangs on that, right? And so in that way, this song is super important because this is Bongo after he's been slapped watching the bear society from a distance and and realizing that... Um, that this is what happened, that, that he actually was loved by whatever, I don't know if the girls even give it a name. Lulabelle. Lulabell. Lulabelle Lula loves him. Um, and so that's a difficult thing to do, right? Like, what, what action could you conceive of that gives the impression to someone that it's, it's a negative? And, and, and because the audience has to, the audience has to understand it from Bongo's perspective as well, right? Like,
0: So anything you do, I mean, you could do something lame like turn your back. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, that doesn't make for a very interesting movie. She could spit on him, but I think that would have very similar implications to slapping him. I I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think think you're right. I'm not sure there was really a good way out of this other than that. And to be fair, um, it is the female bears who really slapped the heck out of the male bears.
1: Yeah. So...
0: Not that not that it's okay for women to hit men, but the the implications are not quite as disturbing,
1: right? Yeah, and I guess for me, I wasn't even worried about the implications as much as just like it's just it's just awkward, right? Like the whole thing is just awkward. But I guess it's 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 meant to be in a way, you know? Like you're meant to be viewing, like you're basically following Bongo's story. So seeing it through the lens of Bongo and seeing it as awkward is, I think, in that. In that way, it, it achieved its purpose, but it wasn't really emotionally satisfying, I guess.
0: I do like the song though, and I I, I like I like Dinah Shore's performance in it in particular, where she, when she sings uh, something about if you're a whipper will you can whip her. I love the way she sings whipper.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll have to go back and give it another listen. I guess maybe this is just another example um, of of me not being familiar enough with the song to. To appreciate it fully,
0: so. I, I think we can both agree that that and in the lazy countryside are better than the love theme in Bongo, which whose name I can't even remember.
1: Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> when
0: a bird loves a bird, he can twitter. When a puppy falls in love, he can yap. Every pigeon likes to grow when he says "I love you," but a bear likes to say it with a slap.
1: When a whippoorwill's in love, a creaking whipper, all the horses neck and all the turtles snap. Every deer and every dove has a way of making
0: love, but the bear likes to say it with a slap. You can ask any bear, oh, there's nothing to compare with the love that's wrong or weak. So, if
1: you're ready for so, overall, you yeah, decent, a overall, yeah, decent, decent, decent movie. I don't know that I have anything else to say about it. Oh, um,. The, the only other thing I would say is that I'd see a, a real parallel, um, which we can talk about more when we get into Jack and the Beanstalk, or Mickey and the Beanstalk, excuse me, uh, between uh, Lockjaw and Willy in just their complete dominance of nature. Like, as they're chasing our heroes, they just they just tear everything apart. And I thought that was an interesting parallel. Especially, oh, for, interesting. Two, especially for two movies that were not originally even meant to be paired together, right? Like, they are both... Originally, like they were in the idea room at least to be their own standalone features, and then, um, yeah, I think uh, Disney had had looked at pairing uh, the Mickey short with a couple other things before it finally landed here. So, um, yeah, I just thought, I thought that was interesting.
0: I, I will say that Disney has pretty much ignored Bongo uh, for for decades, but. Yeah. Uh, there is a, there's a section of Fantasyland at Disney World where uh, that's a storybook circus, and there is a poster for Bongo. Uh, uh,
1: you know, like he
0: was a bear performing in the circus. Apparently hoping that people wouldn't remember that Bongo was terribly <laughs> abused when he worked for the circus. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. interesting now that there aren't really circuses anymore. Um, this movie is kind of, if you think about it, kind of anti-circus.
1: I mean, I doubt yeah, they had a political
0: program in mind. I think they probably just made for a better story. But uh, now, now that Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey have shut down, the the movie's kind of ahead of its time.
1: Yeah, I would say so. Um, but understandable why they've neglected it. I think overall, like it's just you know they've got so much good stuff in their catalog. It's just really, it's. You know, it, it feels like an upswing based on you know watching these in order in chronological order, uh, but it's 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 just really I don't know it's I don't know the pacing's kind of weird or something the songs don't entirely hold up it's you know it's just it drags in a few places I felt like
0: yeah I I, I think I like this this uh it's not even really a short featurette more than you did I I, I found it very charming. I mean, definitely definitely not top shelf and definitely not as good as uh, Mickey and the Beanstalk.
1: Yeah. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about it, or should we move over to Mickey and the Beanstalk?
0: Uh, yeah, Bongo is, in, in addition to being a parallel for Dumbo, is also a parallel for Pinocchio, because Pinocchio, too, is a star performer who gets thrown into a cage. But I don't know that I have anything to say about it beyond that there's a parallel there.
1: I I didn't catch that parallel, but it is, it is a good one. Yeah. And that's, that seeking for identity, right? I think is, is maybe the, the common theme in all, in all of those things is, uh, you know, even the, the Robert Louis, Louis Stevenson quote that I had earlier was, you know, about, you know, people with a true identity are the ones who are able to be kind of fun and fancy free. And the, you know, Pinocchio is looking for his identity, um Bongo's looking for his identity. So I think that works.
0: And and it does connect to the happy go lucky fella thing. If you'll if you'll remember when he first gets to the wilderness, all the other animals laugh at him and the way he earns their respect is to laze around.
1: Mm. That's that's really good. I, I missed that. Oh, you know the other thing that I was gonna say was how sad is it that uh, he even to get in and out of his car he has to go on a tightrope rope. <laughs> <Like, laughs> even when he's not performing, he has to perform.
0: Bummer. And something very precious is kept within these castle walls. What is it? It's a magic singing heart. Listen. What a happy day. What a sunny sky. Kind of makes you sigh in a happy way. What a very merry day. All the world is gay. When your cares are light and your heart takes flight and you're swept away. The air is sweet with clover. The clouds are turning over. Oh, yes, they're turning over just to show their thought it would be
1: interesting to talk lie. about, um, Mickey, because, um, let me just read you this quote here. It says, at the time, uh, Bill Cottrell and another storyman, uh, with the improbable name of T. He, um, actually, <laughs> his actual name is Thornton, he uh, had presented the story uh, Mickey and the Beanstalk to Walt. And as he later told it, Walt burst out laughing tears running down the side of his face and called in others to hear the presentation. But when Cortell and he asked how soon it would be put into production, Walt said it wouldn't as much as he liked it. Walt told them you murdered my characters and destroyed what I've been working years to build up. Uh, the audience had certain expectations of Mickey mouse and this wasn't what they expected. So I was wondering if, um, If we wanted to take the time to talk about the evolution of Mickey and how Mickey basically um, the the Mickey I grew up with was this Mickey and the Beanstalk Mickey and also um, uh, Mickey's uh, Christmas Carol Mickey, where Mickey is basically he's just a he's he's just basically an actor. Um, But John Updike has some really interesting quotes about Mickey, which uh, you might know. Um, because I know you're, I mean, you wrote the book on John Updike. So, um,
0: a book anyway,
1: (laughs) a book anyway. Right. Um, let's see. John, uh, John Updike describes him. Um, the early Mickey mouse had been as John Updike described him America as it feels to itself, plucky, put upon inventive, resilient, good natured game. But as he had become increasingly domesticated, he had also become increasingly a cipher. Um, and so, yeah, basically just this idea that um, as Mickey's popularity uh, led him to just becoming extremely bland and kind of just an everyman in a way. Which, which is
0: why they have to keep teaming him with Donald and Goofy.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know if you had anything. Um, I know that you're, you're more familiar, I think, with the old uh, Mickey shorts and stuff than I am, um, so I didn't know if you wanted to to follow that rabbit trail and say anything about that about the murdering of Mickey. <laughs> I have about, no idea nice.
0: what what Disney is talking about there. Have you seen like Steamboat Willie? Yeah,
1: I have I have seen Steamboat Willie. Um, and
0: so, so, so he's antisocial in the early um, in the early shorts. He's he's very much like Bosco or Bugs Bunny or Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. He, uh, he is cruel to other animals he smokes and drinks he is not recognizable as the Mickey we all are bored by um, and then there's a streak in the 30's when he's like an adventurer so he, there's, the, there's the famous short I think it's called The Moose Hunt mm-hmm. um, which is a great short uh, or there's the uh, Mickey the Giant Killer the Brave Little Tailor that's what it is, where he where he fights another uh, another giant, and so like this would seem to fit in very well with that version of Mickey Mouse, uh, and I I really don't understand how this would be destroying the Mickey of nineteen forty. Hmm. So that's a weird thing yeah. to say to me.
1: Yeah, and I'm not quite sure if I completely 100% understand it either. Um, I think uh, another thing that comes out of um, – these quotes I'm reading are out of um, Disney and the Triumph of the American uh, imagination, uh, as I've been quoting throughout the series here. Um, but uh, Walt, I think, was kind of thinking of Mickey Mouse as um, it's. – I'll just read the quote – an animated surrogate for Charlie Chaplin. Uh, Mickey's other father of Iwerks had thought of him in very different terms as Douglas Fairbanks. Uh, Mm. He was the superhero of his day, Iwerks said of Fairbanks, always winning, gallant, and swashbuckling. And as for Mickey, he was never intended to be a sissy. He was always an adventurous character. I had him do naturally the sort of thing Doug Fairbanks would do. Thus, Mickey Mouse was born between two conceptions, between Chaplin and Fairbanks, between the scamp and the adventurer, between sympathy and vicariousness between self-pity that translated into power through ingenuity and the boldest the bold uh, assertion of power itself. So I don't know if we're just seeing more of the of iwerks uh Disney coming through or sorry, <laughs> that didn't make any sense. The Ub iwerks uh Mickey coming through uh whereas Disney was more attracted to um I don't know that more I don't know the ingenuity, the the underdog, the um I don't know the com- the comedy of it
0: Don't you don't you think he kind of splits the difference though he's he's thrust into this role um he he starts off as an everyman and ends up as Douglas Fairbanks in the short in the featurette excuse me Yeah I don't know I it, it's funny because this is one of Mickey's most famous roles now mm-hmm. uh, uh the the famous shot of him riding the champagne cork out of the giant's castle I think is one of the one of the things almost everybody knows about Mickey Mouse, so it's weird that Disney thought this would ruin the character. I mean, yeah. Maybe it did from his perspective. I mean, maybe he never wanted him wanted him to be this. I don't know. But this yeah. is famous enough that the very first level in uh, Mickey Mouse's Magical Quest, did you ever play that game for the Super Nintendo?
1: <laughs> I don't think I played that one.
0: <laughs> it's, it's Mickey and the Beanstalk. I mean, it's it's not the plot of that, but he's surrounded by beanstalks, so... Yeah. I don't know. That, that's that's a really weird. I, I don't. I don't understand. Hmm.
1: Yeah, and I wish I wish I understood it a little better um, to be able to explain the argument better. I don't. I don't really quite um, understand what Disney himself is saying here either. I do kind of understand, but like I said, I I I, I, uh, I highlighted way too many things to go to go deep into this. But I think um, there there definitely is an evolution of Mickey that you can see from from the older cartoons to the the cuter um more rounded edges mickey that we have today and even like you said um you know that's part of the reason why donald duck was invented you know like mickey wasn't able to to do the things that donald can do um
0: and domesticate donald
1: right and so um mickey became so popular he was like a victim of his own popularity the other thing that i think is really interesting is that uh in this book it talks about mickey also being a, a victim of of Disney himself, because Disney is a um, is fighting so hard for realism, and Mickey is of an era of cartoon where the realism doesn't matter. So when Mickey is born, he's in that um, that rubber hose era of um, cartoons where everybody just kind of has floppy um, they look like hoses, like arms and legs, and you know there's there's no depth to the characters at all. Like there's nothing very real about it. And then um, Walt's thing is he's trying to Put real life into every character and into everything, and as he does that, and as he gets better at it, Mickey actually gets left behind because Mickey is was was never in like those that rich depth of character was never placed into Mickey, um, so he's kind of of a bygone era in a way.
0: Is he anybody's favorite character? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean. Yeah, he's 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 lovable, and I mean the he's merchandisable, right? Like, sure. Uh, that's a, that's the other thing is Mickey's Mickey becomes the brand, right? So and
0: little children always want to meet him at Disney World.
1: Yeah, and his face is on everything. Um. So yeah, there's that aspect to him. Um, yeah, there's some really interesting parallels between. Mickey Mouse and, and Walt himself, I think. You know, I who, think Walt who it really, must be
0: said voices Mickey for the first twenty years.
1: Right. At this actually, is actually Mickey. the last time. Yeah, this is the last time. And they did it like halfway through project- production, he, he quit <laughs> voicing them. He called in a um you know, called in some other guy and asked him asked him to do the voice in his office and recorded him doing it and the other guy doing it and said, Oh, that's like, it's close enough, good enough and and that was it. You know, it was very un unceremonious.
0: That's interesting. I didn't know that. I knew this is the la- he he voices Mickey in the opening of the Mickey Mouse Club in the fifties, but this is the last big thing where he would regularly voice Mickey Mouse, mm-hmm. which is too bad. I mean, his performance is uh, not great, but charming. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I do feel like you lose something when it's not Walt voicing Mickey.
1: Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, it's uh, Jim Henson and Kermit the Frog, too, right?
0: Right, right. He loves the character probably more than anybody in history. So,
1: Oh, man, I have a quote for that, too. Um, what Walt, Walt says, uh, back when he was absorbed by his animations, he told Ward Kimball, I love Mickey Mouse more than any woman I've ever
0: known. Yikes! <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I wonder what his wife and daughters thought about that. <laughs> I don't
1: know. Um, that was when he was absorbed by his animation. So it may be before. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'd have to check my timeline to know exactly when he said that. Because um, he's definitely not as absorbed by it as the, at this point, right? Like at this point, he's he's on to live action and stuff. So,
0: yeah, isn't that interesting that that's what he decided to to spend his time with when basically nobody remembers the live action from this era?
1: Yeah, that is interesting. And I think we'll see it more as we as we move forward, right? Like live action really became the, I don't know. I mean, we all we all remember, uh, you know, Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty and and those sorts of things. But Walt was much more interested in in whatever was happening in live action at that time and television. I think television really caught his uh, attention for a while, and then building the parks was the other big thing, right? Like, right. Once once he got into the park building, that was a whole other thing, and that was—I mean—it really says something about him as a person. The fact that he was able to be so successful in all these different areas, you know, Um, but he—he obviously didn't uh, apply the same amount of attention at all times to all these different things. They definitely, you know, they lost favor with him at some point.
0: Down the castle hall he came, roaring fee, fie. Fo-fum! Fee-fi-fo-fum! Fee-fi-fo-fum! Hee-hi-ho-hum! I'm a most amazing guy! A most amazing guy am I! Fee-fi-fo-fum! Hee-hi-ho-hum! I'm the stuff I'm telling you! For here's what I can do! I can change myself into an elf! Fly up high like the birdies! I can disappear into atmosphere! peekaboo because I know the magic word is five four fee 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 I don't know no fee so uh, the Mickey and the Those Beanstalk sequence words, has the best know. animation oh, we've seen oh, since uh, Bambi probably uh, the in, in particular I'm thinking of the opening shot of Happy Valley with the beautiful cherry blossoms Mhm. Um and then also the very famous sequence where Donald Duck goes crazy and tries to kill the cow. That that the the, the animation here is much better than what we've become accustomed to, I'm glad to say. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> it's got to be one of the best. I mean for me at least. Like it just stands out. Like that's an iconic Donald scene. Like where you get the iconic uh Mickey scene of, of shooting off the champagne bottle, like this is the iconic Donald Duck scene for me. Like he's he's <laughs> so the, the movie kind of opens with them um slicing bread so thinly that you can see through it yeah. and then slicing <laughs> slicing a single bean um to put on the bread and uh donald just can't take it and he goes insane and uh starts by trying to eat the <laughs> he, he makes his sandwich out of the plates and forks and knives um to try and eat that instead and then uh decides to go kill the cow he sees the axe and when he first grabs the axe,
0: I was sure he was going to kill and eat Mickey. <laughs> and that's
1: actually, That's exactly what Allison said as she as she was watching it with me, because um, I guess she had forgotten how the story goes.
0: Donald loses his mind, um, not just because he's starving, but because the narrator is talking about how noble they are in their poverty. I thought that <laughs> was interesting, that, that Donald just will not put up with being being romanticized. <laughs> Did you it's show big. your Did you
1: show your kids this one? I tried to. They wouldn't watch it with me. They, they well, I shouldn't. I shouldn't say it that way. If I had like turned it off, so they get they get limited screen time each day, right? And so, um, and Friday is like our movie night where we watch a movie. And so it was it was Serena's turn to pick the movie, and I was like, "Do you want to watch this new one? It's really fun." And um, she was like, "No, I want to watch The Lion King." So we this new Lion movie King. from 1947.
0: Well, new to them. New to them. Yeah, I, I just wondered if they were afraid of the Donald scene because it is, uh, I think, pretty disturbing.
1: Yeah, I'll have to let you know when we uh, – eventually they'll see it. Like I'll I'll keep I, – I enjoy this one, so I'm, I would like them to watch it and, and enjoy it too. Although I'd like it more if I could find that Sterling Holloway version because the, <laughs> the narration really takes me out of this one.
0: Really, I, I had remembered hating the narration, but I don't know if it's because I'm getting old and corny. But the some of the Charlie McCarthy jokes really made me laugh.
1: Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as I remembered either. Um I think I've only seen this version with uh with Charlie McCarthy and
0: um Mortimer uh, Snurd. Mortimer the other Snurd. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, once before, so you're right that it's not it's not that bad, but it's not Sterling Holloway, you know.
0: We uh we forget Charlie McCarthy was the biggest radio star in the world at this time. Like right. well, Yeah, this would be, I don't know who the equivalent today is. I, it would have been like getting Hannah Montana in your movie 10 years ago. Uh, Charlie McCarthy was huge. So, I mean, they, they dedicate a large portion of this movie to Edgar Bergen and his creepy puppets <laughs> and his incompetent <laughs> ventriloquism.
1: That's really funny, though, because Charlie McCarthy also makes the joke. That, I mean, I guess it's just that self-deprecating humor, but he makes the joke about they didn't have radios, and that's why it was called Happy Valley.
0: Right, right. I um I, I was embarrassed at how funny I thought Charlie McCarthy was. Now, Mortimer Snerd, I, I found very annoying, the, yeah. the kind of dim-witted hillbilly act. Mm-hmm. And certainly, yeah. I don't think you need that section of this movie. Like, like it would have been just fine to go in with another with another narrator, or even, well, no, I guess if you're gonna have Edgar Bergen, you've gotta you've gotta do the live action puppet bit. But it, even if Dinah Shore want, had had wanted to. Uh, to narrate this or get Sterling Holloway, as you said. I, I, I certainly do not think you need the wraparound narration with Edgar Bergen, but it was not yeah. as bad as I remembered it being, because I remembered it being terrible.
1: right? And it does a couple things. I mean, Edgar Bergen is, is a personal friend of Walt Disney, I guess, like one of his few actual friends and, um, or clo- close friends, I guess, right, like close circle. Um, and then uh, the uh, you know, they're, they're obviously just enamored with the the combination of live action and animation at this point. So they have, some, they have some. They have some
0: good gags with uh, Jiminy Cricket, like he takes a slice of cake and he drinks a. He drinks a full cup of punch, and that mm-hmm. stuff is live action. So I mean, they they do a pretty good job compared to Three Caballeros.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> yes indeed. <laughs> They've learned a lot since then. So
0: and we're we're right. We're a year after uh, Song of the South and a year before so dear to my heart is that the i think i think that's the name of the movie so i mean they are they're working on combining animation with live action it's nothing compared to mary poppins but that's still 17 years away you know
1: yeah yeah so mickey Mickey goes to sell the cow instead they don't eat the cow they decide to go sell it and uh, he comes back with the beans and uh, this is one of my <laughs> my favorite sequences too is you know make, uh Donald and goofy are there singing about all the food that they're going to eat and uh the pancakes piled up the till they reach the sky. I still sing regularly. Basically every time we eat pancakes, um it's just multiple times. <laughs>
0: Turkey lobster, sweet potato pie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I just I love it. I love it, that whole thing. And then and then he shows up with beans.
0: <laughs> Donald slaps them out of his hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fooey
1: Yeah. Um and then, and then of course the, the, um, so then the, the, the beanstalk begins to grow and this is a great, I, just, I think this is a great moment in animation too, where just, you know, the beanstalk growing through the house, um, in time to the music and, uh, you know, tearing, tearing the entire house apart, tearing their beds apart. And, you know, of course they sleep, they sleep entirely through it. Um, yeah, just, uh, it's very, it's great.
0: Yeah. That's a great sequence. Then you get the food gags. Once they get to the mm-hmm. once they get to the giant's castle, there there's giant food gags. They go up to the table and attempt to eat cheese, and I think Goofy tries to eat peas for some reason because that's where you start. <laughs>
1: he's so hungry, he's delusional, you
0: know. And it knocks him onto a giant brick of Jello
1: yeah that's the best part is him him on the jello and his pants fall down and he like does a little shimmy and they, they shimmy right back up his <laughs> up his leg <laughs> then he has to chase his hat around a little bit I, yeah this is good classic goofy it's really nice
0: yeah and and you know as we said the animation is much improved from the last few movies so uh it does it does feel like disney's back
1: yes 100 percent. it does um Yeah. And then the Willie, the giant comes in, who's, I just, he's lovely.
0: (laughs) One of the the great dimwits in animation history.
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, He's not, uh, I mean, he's terrifying because of his size, I guess. And I mean, he is going to eat them, Um, but uh, yeah, he's just, he's goofy, sings a silly song and, you know, I, I like this song too. This 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 short is just or featurette is just great. It's full of great songs, full of great gags. Um,
0: I uh, distinctly remember when I was a kid, her singing to put the giant the the harp. We we didn't even mention the harp. The when the harp is taken away from Happy Valley, that's why it turns into a wasteland. In a variation on the Fisher King myth. But she's uh, she's she's singing to try to put the giant to sleep so that Mickey can rescue his friends. And I, I distinctly remember her singing, uh, "In his left vest pocket, you'll find the key." Mm-hmm. I I, I yeah. for whatever reason, I have a very vivid memory of that from my childhood.
1: Yeah, it's just so nice. I mean, it's it's uh, <laughs> it fits it fits into the song so nicely. But she's you know, she's she's meant to be. Um, what improvising on the spot, so works really well. works Works really well, and then he falls into the pocket, and uh, he's in there with the key. Kind of, kind of reminds me of the uh, the scene in um, uh, Cinderella. We get the same idea with uh, Jacques and Gus are in the in the pocket of the stepmother with the key. Um,
0: oh, I don't remember that.
1: Yeah, well, we'll get there. In <laughs> a few yeah, months. just a few months. But anyway. Yeah, same, same, same idea. But I, yeah, he, you know, he gets into the snuff box, which is, I don't know, is snuff still a thing? I, I yeah. was,
0: I, I asked that same question because I don't know anyone who takes snuff, even though apparently it's not nearly as carcinogenic as other forms of tobacco. So maybe I'll start, <laughs> maybe I'll start sniffing <laughs> snuff. But it, the, the thing I read said uh, it, it's widely available in Europe but hard to come by in the United States.
1: Interesting makes sense this is a this is an english uh, english uh, fairy tale so it makes well, sense. well
0: plus the the snuff gag is a classic animation gag but the snuff makes you sneeze mm-hmm. which if it really made you sneeze that much it seems weird that people would take it cuz the whole point is to inhale it with your nose but whatever uh, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> hey <laughs>
1: There's a lot of logical twists and turns since you start trying to think about the logic of, of taking different types of so.
0: <laughs> I, Yeah, what, I mean, what are you going to do? This is a uh, this is a story about a uh, magical beanstalk and a giant.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, gets the key. Uh, I, think it, I think this is all really, really, really well done. I think the pacing is really well done. I think he, uh, you know, um, you've got. Um, Mickey and or I'm sorry. You've got Goofy and Donald are locked in a box. That's why he's trying to get the key is to unlock his friends. Um, and and they're you know you're seeing their reactions to it as you know as it goes along. There's there's, there's a, a lovely piece there. of
0: animation where they're in the box and you see the the sunlight coming in through the keyhole. And then the giant locks it and and it goes dark for a second. I thought that was a really nice detail. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And then of course you get Donald getting whacked in the face with a key when Mickey <laughs> Mickey comes unlock it. So it's great. Yeah, everybody
0: loves to hit Donald.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then they they escape with the with the <laughs> with the harp and they restore her back to Happy Valley and everybody lives happily ever after.
0: It's my what a happy day.
1: <laughs> yeah, another great song.
0: Yeah, that, that's yeah. probably the best song from this movie. Sung by uh, Anita Gordon, about whom I know nothing.
1: So all around, this short is just wonderful. Um, yeah, really, really good. I can't believe it's not more widely available <laughs> in all of its different three versions. But
0: yeah, that does yeah. seem weird because, like, like I said, this is this is one of the classics uh, of of Mickey Mouse's career. I, I, I think. They put out that series about ten years ago of Walt Disney Treasures, and I think I think this short is available on one of those. But I don't know if it's the which which version of the narration it is. Mm. I have that DVD. I should go look.
1: Yeah, let me know because I w- I, w- I would like to find it.
0: Unfortunately, um, those DVDs are crazy out of print. It would probably they're probably three hundred dollars now.
1: Oh yeah. Well. Yeah. Somebody put it on YouTube, please. <laughs> <laughs> or Disney just release it you know like I don't know
0: yeah I don't know um, why they, they don't why those DVDs were limited edition I don't I mean, surely there would be some market for them people like Mickey yeah. Mouse
1: Disney loves their limited edition stuff
0: that's true back in the vault
1: <laughs> You're back in the vault <laughs> um, yeah so do you want to say anything about um, well do you want to say anything more about the the short itself as it stands before we move on from it
0: no, I don't think so. I, th- you know, it, it's the better short, but there's much less to say about it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, unless unless you want to talk about the Fisher King myth, the Fisher King is a is a king who is uh, who is made to guard the the what is it called? Uh, hold the Holy Grail, but he is injured, or I, I think in some versions he has a disability, and because of that. Uh, when when he is when he's out of commission the entire land goes it turns into wasteland so i mean obviously obviously this short is is playing with that because mm. the the harp the reason the, the it's the harp being kidnapped that makes the makes happy valley not so happy yeah
1: which is different than the jack and the beanstalk tales so is it true the, well from the so it depends. So the, I think the, the oldest versions of this story, um, Mickey, or, er, yeah, Mickey. <laughs> I've been calling him Jack the whole time and now when it's time to call him Jack, I call him Mickey. Um, Jack, uh, goes up and, uh, steals from the giant and he steals a bag of money and, uh, a hen that lays golden eggs and harp and not a, uh, I guess it's a harp that sings to it by itself. Um, but there's, there's Jack is basically a scoundrel in those stories. And then there's a more moralized version of it where uh, it's the same thing, except that Jack has a right to do all these things because um, they're all actually his inheritance. The giant killed his father, killed and ate his father and stole these things. And so, um, you know, Jack goes on the adventure to, to reclaim them. Um, so this is a much more, I guess, universal sort of moral in the sense that, you know, Jack, uh, Mickey's, res- Mickey and friends are, are restoring order to the entire valley. It's not, you know, purely their own inheritance, but, um, yeah, That's I don't know. I don't, I don't know what else there is to say about that exactly. Um, other than I, I do wonder about, so this, you know, this fairy tale is, you know, wide, widely known and widely popular, um, and, you know, close to 200 years old or more than 200 years old, um, and possibly connected to oral tradition that goes back even many hundreds of years beyond that, right? So, what is it about this kind of story that that resonates with us, or is there something something we should be learning from it, or something? Or I guess I, I don't like that. I only take it back. I don't like to say what should we learn about it, but um, it's kind of the theme of of our shows here you know like what how's it how's it shape our imagination or how should it be shaping our imagination
0: I wonder if it's just a matter of it being an underdog story and then and then you know even if there, even if it's not animated there are these set pieces where you get to imagine this this land where everything is bigger than you and I don't know it's inter- i i it's interesting the fairy tales that have made it and in part the fairy tales that uh that are well-known today are well-known because Disney did movies out of them. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But, yeah. but I'm, I'm sure if I were a folklorist, I would have things to say about why the particular, why the particular fairy tales that survived are the ones that survived. Cause they're all, I, I think folklorists tend to think of them as revealing something about the human condition. That was a non-answer. I'm sorry.
1: It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I can't expect you to know the answer to all my questions. Um, should we just go to the kind of the closing sequ- sequence with uh with Bergen? I had something I wanted to ask you about there.
0: Yeah, let's do it. So at the at the end the um the the well, it's not the little girl, is it? It's Mortimer Snurd who's upset because the giant dies, mm-hmm. and Bergen gives this really strange explanation which is that the giant right. is just a character in a story you know he doesn't he didn't he didn't die because he doesn't actually exist maybe Mortimer Snerd is so stupid that he thinks this is real uh but then the uh then the giant opens the corner of the house and ask ask if they've seen mickey mouse because he's looking for him and then he goes and destroys hollywood essentially <laughs> he puts on he wears the brown derby like a cap and there's some yeah. there's grauman's chinese theater is there yeah. What did you want to ask so, about it?
1: Well, I wonder I'm wondering if I'm overthinking this or not. But I'm I'm wondering you know, um Edgar Bergen is a man, who makes his living off of imagination, right? Including uh-huh. these imaginative tales. And I mean he's a he's a ventriloquist. He's got two um, or maybe he's got more than that, but in this in this movie he's got, you know, the two dummies, which are not very lifelike at all. But the power of imagination is that, you know, with with his, you know, I mean, you said earlier he's like the worst ventriloquist ever, but it doesn't matter, right? Like through the power of imagination, it like gives these things life, and um, there's a there's a truth to fairy tales that is, uh, and to stories that is deeper. It's a deeper truth than necessarily like did it really happen, you know? And so in some ways, uh, Mortimer Smurt is played as the the dummy for believing it's true or having a belief in the truth of it but then uh, Edgar Bergen is the one who's made the fool of because Willie actually shows up right like there's it's like he's playing with fire and doesn't realize it or something like there's more power in his stories than he realizes or there's a deeper truth than he realizes and when that truth confronts him he can handle it and he passes out
0: does he pass out? I don't think I noticed that
1: yeah he does passes out and they're like um, like the little girl is fanning in and uh, <laughs> the ventriloquist dummy is still talking of course
0: <laughs> yeah that's interesting I hadn't i hadn't that makes sense I hadn't thought about that
1: so I mean are they is, is there anything said about that like is that is that a um, I don't know is that a criticism or a commentary on you know, I mean, do you think anything's there, or do you think I'm just, just overthinking that?
0: I, I don't know. I mean, part of what we do here is overthink these movies. I, 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 I think it's interesting that the um, – I'm sorry, you probably hear my cat. Um, uh, I, I think it's interesting that he is not the sole creator of that story. If you go back and watch it, um, Happy Valley actually originates from the little girl's imagination. There's like a thought bubble. He's telling the story, but she's imagining it. So it's, it's like what he says doesn't come to life until a child is involved in it, which that, that does seem very Disney to me. And then, it, then it's maybe out of his control.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I was, yeah, I this I was wondering about that because I think there's, I mean, that's part of why I like these movies, right? Like a, a part of why I like the whole Disney genre or, you know, fairy tales in general or, um, you know, even just works of fiction, you know, is is that that deeper truth that's available, um, but isn't off, isn't always acknowledged in our world, I guess. And so, yeah, there's there's kind of a deep irony there of the the guy who's telling the story not not recognizing it. And maybe and maybe it's something where you know Disney himself is feeling like, or not, maybe not Disney at this point, since he's kind of disassociated himself in, in a way um, but you know the animators who are working on this thing and the the actors and directors and stuff are feeling like you know um, even though these are the more low grade of the films like there's there's a depth to them that if you you know ignore it to your peril type thing or
0: something yeah I, I think that's very interesting I'm trying to think if there's another thing in Disney like that that we've seen or we'll see
1: yeah because the the ending song then, it kind of, uh, you know, it kind of confirms, it kind of makes me think that I'm not overthinking it because the, the words there are, because some folks don't believe in giants, castles up above, and others say that bears don't talk and never fall in love. And if you really want to find happiness, peace of mind, believe in all your dreams and you will see, you'll be full of fun and fancy free. And I'm not really into that last bit about, you know, just believing in your dreams. But I do think there there is something... You know, it, it wraps up. <laughs> it, I, I think it does tie the whole theme of this, you know, this thing together nicely. The, that idea of, you know, there's, you know, there's a deeper meaning to stories, and there's a deeper meaning to life than just, you know, busyness or worry or whatever. So
0: it's inter- Is this the first time we've seen that "follow your dreams" moral? Because that, I mean, that is dominant in children's movies right now.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I don't know if this is. I mean, you see it a little bit in Pinocchio, right? Like when you wish upon a star type y- stuff.
0: Yeah, I suppose it's true.
1: Um, but yeah, I, I, it's, it's way gonna come into. I mean, I'm not as familiar with the next couple of movies, so uh, we'll see what's what's in there. But definitely by the time we get to Cinderella, it is it is full on.
0: Oh, sure. Um, yeah, dream is a wish your heart makes.
1: Yeah. So. Although even, you know, going back to Snow White, like, she's in the wishing well and stuff, you know. So there's there's dreaming and wishing before this. But maybe this is the most um, what, articulated version of it or something.
0: Oh, I don't know that I would call it articulated. It's just a, kind of a throwaway line at the end of the movie.
1: It's true. If you're not really listening to it, you, you'd totally miss it because, you know. If you just watch the shorts and then you know, like the singers come on, and you're like, okay, that's the end of the movie. Then you're right; you would just totally miss it. So.
0: well, next up we have Melody Time, uh, which is kind of a sequel to Make Mine Music. Have you, have you, do you know this one? You, you may, you may have seen the Johnny Appleseed or Pecos Bill shorts.
1: Yeah, I may have. Um, I'm gonna have to watch it and see what. Um, you know, what rings true and what doesn't, um, as far as what I, what I remember it, but, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. So So we have, we have, uh, that's, that's what's up next month.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, I hope that you enjoyed, uh, listening to, uh, Michael and I's conversation about this. I would encourage you to join the conversation. Let us know, uh, what we missed or, uh, uh, what we, what we could have said or, or didn't say, or whatever. Um, Michael and I know there are a great number of podcasts out there uh, you could be spending your time on, so thank you for choosing us. Uh, We also want you to know that Before They Were Live is a proud member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. You can find all our past shows and the many other shows on the network at Uh, ChristianHumanist.org. We'd love to hear from you, so please help us uh, by emailing us at live at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, uh, BeforeTheyWere.Live, where you'll see uh, some show notes and various other other things and there's a way to contact us there as well uh, you can find us both on twitter although not michael right now um uh during lent but i'm at the alt and michael is at michael farmer um, our press liaison is christian philippic and as mortimer said good night willie don't slam the roof